Hello, this is Jimmy Sam, Another Truth Podcast. Hope you're all doing fine. I'm doing great. Shivering me timbers off here in Iowa. Over the past day, we've had rain, snow, sleet, hail, ice, and a tornado or two, I guess, passed right by. <laughs> and uh, sustained 80 mile per hour winds while I watched my neighbor's uh, roof shingles get blown off some tree branches and stuff falling down thank god the Polaris Casa has stayed strong (laughs) so yeah we've experienced the Midwest all day today it was 60 like 5 yesterday (laughs) so and now today I woke up to snow and my house thank god but yeah man can't wait to get going on this one for you guys we got the legendary T.D. Clark from Illinois going to be on the podcast going to talk to him hopefully everything i want to know about him <laughs> he seems like a i know he's a great guitar player i just want to see his uh influences and what he's been doing what he's had uh, going on he's been uh in the circuit for at least 25 years and holy shit this guy is fantastic so let's uh get to that intro and get to talking to td clark business i guess really quick thanks you guys obviously for all the uh the follows on spotify and the uh follows on itunes i really appreciate it thanks for the five star ratings holy shit and we're moving on up (laughs) y'all but yeah i really do appreciate it hello germany you guys have been uh plugging in a little bit more from what i can see and along with canada yeah hey there so yeah man thanks a lot guys now let's get to it with uh td clark You've been playing for what, about, uh, it says professionally, about 25 years? Oh, probably. Well, I guess it depends on what defines professional, really. I mean, I don't know if I've ever been professional, but, I'm, <laughs> but um, I've been a lot of professional things. I don't know if guitar player is one of them, but, I'm, but um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I started playing at, like, probably in seventh and eighth grade in, like, school things. And then in high school, and then started playing the teen clubs in high school. And then, um, you know, started playing the club circuit in a variety of fashions along the way. Um, So, you know, I don't know. My first big tour that I went on, well, uh, probably in truth, my only major, major tour I went on, I've been on a bunch of smaller ones, but um, we did this Nugent Bad Company tour back in 96. And I guess that was my first big break into playing, you know, sheds and, you know, in front of thousands of people and being part of a major tour operation where you're like literally working with these bands that have sold millions and millions of records and you've actually grown up listening to them all. So I guess if you want to say that would be the professional, but I don't know, you know, uh, that would be when I was 28 or something. So if that's the case, yeah, 25 years. 
but I was playing the clubs before that and whatever. Fantastic. Was that your, uh, when did you start playing? How young were you? So I started playing actually um, piano first. My grandfather, rest in, rest in peace, sir. Uh, he started me on piano when I was about six years old. And I started playing piano because um, we had an interesting dynamic in my family. I was born very, very early. My mom just turned 20, which was kind of unheard of. And my grandmother, three years prior, had my uncle when she was 40, which was completely unheard of in 1964. Like, people didn't have kids when they were 40 back then. All right. Um, so because of that, we grew up kind of more like brothers. And I was a single-parent type situation. And so I spent a lot of time in my grandparents' house, and I grew up. And my uncle Tim was one of these guys who, they lived here in Chicago until about seventy-five or seventy-six. But he was going to the conservatory, the old conservatory downtown, and my uncle was one of these pianists who you'd see him on Channel Eleven playing with the London Philharmonic, like he was a genius prodigy when he was, you know, nine, ten, eleven years old. Damn. And so anyway, I started on piano because it kind of was the thing that was going on. Uh, and then I picked up guitar uh, when my grandparents moved. That we and my mom, you know, she she didn't have any money, so there's going to be no way that. Um, by the way, is all that noodling screwing up your interview thing there? Well, I I can hear it, but I'm not going to complain at all. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I don't want it to interfere with what we're doing. I kind of have this bad like hyper thing where I fuck around all the time. Sorry. So. Um, <laughs> I picked up guitar. <laughs> I picked up guitar like after uh, my grandparents moved to piano unceremoniously um, out to Arizona, and so it was one of those deals to where my mom couldn't afford a piano, and she was kind of like, you know, you're kind of SOL. So I found a guitar in her closet shortly after. I would say I started playing around 10 years old. The truth, I don't really remember exactly when I found that guitar in the closet. Um, you know, prior to finding that guitar, there's a lot of tenor, tennis racket jamming in the mirror <laughs> before that. I don't know if that qualifies as picking up the instrument. Yeah, what made you uh, at least pick up the tennis racket the first time? What was the music that inspired you as a youngster? Um, I mean, I liked, my mom listened to everything back then. Everything from The Who, you know. Hell yes. Or... So she listened to Who, she listened to Cooper. She listened oh, nice. to I know it's gonna be it's gonna be like this all day. Get ready. Sorry. <laughs> I should have told you to drink heavy before this. <laughs> I've got one going, it's good. <laughs> There you go. And she listened to, you know, everything. Pink Floyd, she listened to Chicago. She listened to, you know, Starland vocal band, you know, Sky Rocket yeah, Flight. She yeah, played yeah. that all the time. She listened to the Bee Gees. You know, you know, she was like, you know, Here I stand in a lost and lonely part of town. Oh, so we wow, had all that going on the entire time. Oh, yeah, Bee Gees. You know, those guys are amazing. I mean, how do you sell like 300 million albums without being just absolutely spectacular this guy's are nuts yeah it's funny the youngsters um, sleep on those guys but it's like wow that is like some amazing songwriting back in the day man well you know it's like i remember when i was younger you know i got in my teens and i was listening to the ufo and you know scorpions and then i was thinking the bgs were totally uncool and stuff because they're wearing wide collars and you know very 
Gib had an awful lot of chest hair sticking out of his shirt. <laughs> all the time. So that was a little like, you know, what the hell? Right. Um, so that certainly wasn't cool when I'm listening to like, you know, uh, Scorpions. But the reality of the matter is, is as I got older, like I just grew to appreciate those three guys just sang like songbirds, man. And, yeah. you know, they could play a bunch of interest instruments and, you know, I mean, they, they wrote so many songs for other people. Um, so yeah, so my mom just listened to everything growing up. And um, I want to say probably the first thing that got me really into guitar, my mom used to play these Bob Seger records all the time. And I think the first one was, I forget the name of it, but he had two live records out, but one of them, I just remember they were doing old time rock and roll or some song. And it was like, you know, some kind of groove like that. And all of a sudden Bob Seger goes, Drew, baby, because his guitar player was Drew Abbott. And he cuts into this like double stop, like, yeah, I'll turn up a little bit. So yeah, kick I'm it a little bit. This you know, it's like, you know. There we go. You know. Some kind of thing like that where it's a total double stop. Like, and I was just like, where's my tennis racket? Yeah, so, <laughs> classic. You know. So it probably started somewhere around there. Um, and then I found a guitar in my mom's closet. My mom, she attempted to play guitar at one point, and I found this classical guitar. It's a Yamaha G G231. I still have this guitar. It's the oh, first awesome. guitar I ever played. Cool. And uh, it's a nylon string guitar, and I started messing around with it, and I can promise you whatever I was doing certainly wasn't music. I probably <laughs> thought it was, but it certainly wasn't music by any standard of you know, music that we know. But you, um, could, but uh, yeah. uh, you had a good ear, though, from piano. That helped? Well, I don't know if you call it that because, you know, you would think that if that was the case, the first time I picked up guitar, it would be like songbirds and rainbows <laughs> and stuff. And I'm certain that it sounded like a cement mixer hitting a train at 70 miles an hour, really. <laughs> so, um, you know, the more I think about this, uh, I remember dragging that guitar to visit my grandparents, like in the 76, 77, walking off the play with it. So it must have been when I was nine or 10 years old. Okay. Um, when I started playing for sure, because my grandparents even remarked about my grandmother, love her. She's 97 now. Oh, rock on. And she's still totally with it. Oh, she's still with it. I talk to her once or twice a week. She's totally with it, man. She lives on her own. She totally like, she doesn't have dementia or anything. You know, I'm not going to wood right now. Oh, and awesome. I talk to her and she'll talk about, yeah, you come walking off the plane with your boom box and your guitar. Cause I had a big old boom box cassette player <laughs> in one yes. hand and a guitar in the other. And she'd be like, did you bring any luggage or anything? I'd be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> she'd, she'd be like, you know, like toothbrush and socks and underwear. And I'm like, I'm like, you want me to be what? I go, what kind of rock and roll life is that? <laughs> and uh, just for people who don't know, where are you from? Or where are you living? Or where are you, I guess, originally from, I guess? So, uh, I mean, I'm a Chicago native. I grew up in um, Park Ridge. And then I moved to Elk Grove Village. And then I was living in Schaumburg for a bit. And then I moved down to the Fox Valley area. And I've lived in Naperville and Aurora probably since about 91, 92. I've been living in that area down there. And then today, I'm at the lovely abode of my fiance Sue, who lives in Carroll Stream, Illinois. Hello. Oh, nice. And, uh, and congratulations. Yeah, so, oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's yeah. badass. Hopefully yeah, I'm a Chicago ish guy, too. I grew up around Tinley and Orland and 
finally we ran our uh, asses out around the, the sandwich area. And that's where I was for oh, most of my go. life. So yeah, I'm kind of, I was familiar with your name. And I do believe, I don't know if I got to see you back in the day when I lived there and stuff like that, but somebody else brought you up to me. Uh, I think it was Mark Doty or Jeff Schiltz, Gene Liberty. I can't remember who it was, some guitar players. And they were just like, you got to hear this guy. And I was like, how do I not have all of this? And then I immediately bought all your shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, you just, you just seem to be right up my alley, man. I was like, hey, you're obviously, uh, well, let's just, yeah, let's keep going, start and keep them from where we were. Where did you go visit your grandmother at? Oh, so my grandparents and everything moved to Arizona. My grandfather had a heart oh, okay. attack really young. So uh, back then, they'd be like, you need to go somewhere where there's warm weather. Yep. Um, so they sent it there, saying less stress on the system. And my grandfather, so I have to tell this back side of the story. Unfortunately, I get a little wordy. I'm sorry, I'll make it quick. So my grandfather was like a vice president at Teletype. Okay. And the reason this is important is AT&T is American Telegraph and Teletype. So my grandfather was a big wig at Teletype, and then they merged with American Telegraph and became AT&T, American Telegraph and Teletype. Oh, wow. So my grandfather was a big wig over there. So when he had these, he had a heart attack when he was 40 or 41 or something, they immediately just retired him. And he actually had been working for the company for like 20-some years because he started working in the mailroom. And then he went to the war, and they gave him time served. They gave him like... When he was gone, they gave him all of that time as workable time while he's fighting the war, World War II. So when he came back, he just kept working there. And then they sent him, I believe, for classes at University of Chicago. And he did some really cool stuff. I could do three hours on my grandpa being out of this world amazing. Um, uh, so then they just retired him right away. They okay. just said, you know what, man, here's a retirement package. And, you know, he made a lot of money back in the day. Like, I didn't realize it, but he made, like, big money, I guess, um, but um yeah i'm guessing anyway, around that the communication era it's pretty it's pretty oh, yeah, you know, field he, to be in he was doing well he was doing like um stuff with the mercury flights and stuff like he was doing communication with the mercury projects and all those things you know he was doing all this stuff but anyway the reason this is important is he moved to arizona and he was just retired so every time he flew out there literally him myself and my uncle tim would take off and just go into the desert and hang out and do, just climb on ruins and do all this crazy stuff um, and I, I formed a really strong bond with him, and I, he continued to impress upon me my guitar practice when I was there and my piano and stuff, and as well as my uncle did too. And that's kind of like where this whole thing, I would go out there for a whole summer or something, because I was, as you can tell, I'm super ADHD, crazy, hyper. My mom wanted to kill me. She's like, go to Arizona, run in the desert. <laughs> Hopefully a snake will get a hold of you. <laughs> Slow so, him down. <laughs> yeah, you know, my mom would probably be like, for God's sake, someone bite this kid and you know then she's probably thinking you know what he probably killed a snake and then beat everybody with it or something so, so you know that's kind of where that whole section took off so they moved to arizona and i was going to visit them but i still lived here in chicago and our whole family moved out there um at one point but my mom stayed here long story there and um so yeah so i just been living here but you know i've traveled around the world a lot and i tried to as much as I've only lived really in one area, I've traveled the world quite a bit on purpose to see a lot of stuff. So, you know. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's the best way to do it. I mean, we're only on this mud ball for so so long of a time. Might as well get out there and see it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, so much to learn about yourself and about the world, about people, about music. You know, I've jammed in all these countries. And I had this crazy story. I was in Morocco, and I had my guitar with me in my backpack. Because back then, everywhere I went, I had my guitar with me. And so we're in Morocco, and I'm walking up this little street. 
and there's all these little shops and stuff, and it's like something right out of Indiana Jones. And oh, this no. little dude busts out, <laughs> and he says in broken English, he's like, will you play for us? And so I said, sure. And all of a sudden, all these people come running out of their shops, and they sit down, and they give me this little stool, so I'm playing guitar, and I'm doing like some like 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 Arabian something stuff, like, you know... And, and, you know, and I'm thinking I'm being all like, you know, cultural and stuff. I'm thinking I'm all cool. And the guy goes, that's very nice. Can you play some Santana? No. And I was just like <laughs> laughing. So then, you know, then it's like, you know. So Lord, that was man. a crazy time. <laughs> that's well, another one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, big dude, Santana fan, yeah. That's badass. Oh, it's fantastic. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I kind of digressed there. So anyway, I'm sure there's things you want to ask me other than me rambling, which I'm sorry. So go ahead and yeah. continue on. Oh, I just don't want to eat up your day. I know you got a gig tonight, you said. Where's your gig at tonight, by the way? I am playing with Poison Crew at JMO's Live in, I think it's Frankfurt, Illinois, or Makina, Illinois. It's right like 80 and like Harlem, I want to say, is the cross street right there. Oh, cool. I think it's Harlem. Um, But it's like Makina, Frankfurt. Yeah, we play there all the time, and we have really good drives there. The place should be packed. We got a video like this just insane. So Poison Crew is a really good drive these days. You know, I keep telling everybody, I'm like, this band's terrible. Why are you coming out? And they're just like, because we just want to, you know. You guys make up in volumes for what you don't have in talent. I'm like, well, that's true. So, <laughs> Bullshit. You know. I only got to see I got to see a handful of videos since I haven't been able to catch you live yet. But I was just like, you like do the part of uh, two guitar players in this band, which is pretty incredible. I've seen you one handed while playing the keyboard, also playing guitar. I mean, you are a performer, you know bro. You can look like you. <laughs> Oh, no, no, sorry, I interrupted you mid-thought. Keep going. I'm sorry about that. Oh, that's cool. I was just saying, it's just like you are, uh, you're, you're everything I like to see in a player. Like, you, you're you obviously you jam, but it's like you're a performer too. And it seems like, you know, you 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 get it, you know? It's like you're performing, you're putting on a show, but and you're also shredding at the same goddamn time, man. <laughs> it's like, this is fantastic. It's fan, so fantastic to watch, you know? As a, you know, I've, I've been in bands and stuff like that, but it's just so fun to watch some guy get up there take it and just go with it and have a blast you're smiling the whole time it's everything you know i like to see when i'm watching a band you know just like and the whole band is great too man by the way i seen uh the last one i seen before i called you was still the night and from you to that singer to that bass player to the drummer all the guys i'm just like what is it is that still brent uh vince yep brent Brent outer vince solo and paul demarco paul demarco on bass okay cool yeah, but man, yeah, you seem to uh, develop a really good uh, group of people for that. That was, uh, did you, was this the whole, always the whole lineup or is this something you were working towards or fell in? How did you get, how did a Poisoned Crew happen? So um, Vince Consolo, who plays drums in Poisoned Crew, is in my solo band. And I've been playing with my solo band, so I, I didn't get back into the cover racket. And I definitely call it a racket. It's a racket, but it's a fun racket, but a racket nonetheless. I didn't get back into the cover rack until like 2012, 13, 14. I was doing original music for 20 years. You know, I was playing all over and I played in Japan and Europe and I played all over the place doing only original music. You know, I have five records out. I got three of them. That's the only three I could find was on Apple Music. But man, 
holy shit, dude. Oh, yeah, that's what that's it's you're definitely a bread and butter is that all, shit. <laughs> I think they should all be on there. There should be so the first one is personalities, then perspective, yeah. then next big adventure, then shred time stories, and then the Christmas album. Yeah, that's all so I can find was those that. three. I I bet there is, but I'm just my, oh, they might be on Apple. I well, is that streaming? Is that you found it on Apple Music streaming, or did you find it like Apple iTunes? Uh, I think it's iTunes. I don't know what the hell I have. <laughs> okay. I, I get so many because different I things. Because kind of, I kind of boycotted uh, the whole streaming service thing, so I some of my records aren't on streaming on purpose. So the only reason the other ones are on there is because when I did my deal early on with CD Baby, who placed me, they put me on streaming for the early records. But uh, I'm a I am not a fan of streaming whatsoever. I think all it does is impoverish artists again. And artists don't need to be more impoverished. No. And uh, that's what it does to them. They, there is no reason that artists can't be paying their bills um, and some asshole is making billions of dollars running a streaming service. That's a fucking crime. That is a crime. And I don't want to hear any other, I won't even tolerate hearing otherwise. If somebody makes billions of dollars playing other people's music, then those people's music who he's playing to make all the money better be making tens of millions of dollars. And if they're not, then you got to take a look at that situation and go, this isn't right. This yeah. isn't right. Yeah. You know? that, I mean, that's you know, true. Back like, in the day, you know, you'd have to make your money on the road and that kind of yeah, stuff because they screwed you because they screwed you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you get money from radio, you know, like by Joey the other day, he posts something on, uh, from Spotify for a billion streams and everybody in the comments is going, did you get $40 for that? And yeah. it's true. <laughs> Which that's is horrible. True. Yeah. He probably made on a billion streams. If he made fifty grand, I'd be surprised. And it's just—it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. It's a joke. It's yeah. a joke. And the way that people treat artists is terrible. It's just terrible. You know, just terrible. Yeah. I mean, I just—I can't stress enough how horrible it is. And other people make—they give me excuses, but there's no excuses. Go buy the record. Go buy the record. Don't do anything else go buy the record you like it so much you want to support that artist so they can do another record then you need to go buy that record because they're not making any money any other way i mean for god's sake peter Frampton went before congress and said something like for i don't know how many tens of millions of streams that he had he made like you know 12 grand it's like this is just it's a joke it's yep. a joke and you're letting you know again you're letting corporate america dictate everything and i hate corporations and then the whole reason we're here this i can promise you somebody got paid off to even allow this to happen. It's a shame. Yeah, it's, an it, absolute shame. it's always anyway, the artists. It's always the artists that suffer, man, for no good reason. It's yeah. like I'm giving you something to put on your shitty platform. You know, it's like this is happening because yep. I happened. Well, it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, even like my records, like people burn my records to the Internet. And I find it all the time. And, you know, we're not talking there's millions of views, but there might be a thousand or eight hundred. But I can promise you if someone spent ten dollars on eight hundred views. You know, that pays my car payment for two years. You know, if they bought the records and downloaded them instead of, you know, ripping them and listening to them for free. Uh, and, you know, uh, another one has, you know, 200 views. Well, that's at 10 bucks. That's $2,000. That pays my kids swimming for the year. Right. You know, people right. don't ever look at it like that. And when you're trying to do original music and break through, it's very, very difficult. A lot of people say, well, you're just an old man, whatever. It's like, no, actually what it is, is I'm used to a time when musicians could actually make some money without having to absolutely sell coffee mugs. Yeah. You know, they could just do music and make money from that. And now they have to have a clothing line and it's, you know, sure. You need merch but, and you got to play out every three days. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. yeah. You know, why the heck is a streaming service, you know, a guy's worth $4 billion and there's people on there who are getting 12 cents. Like, that's why I won't be part of it. I just won't. I just absolutely won't promote it. And I almost think it's laughable when people are like, oh, I had a million listens. So what? That means that you made somebody a lot of money. Yep. Are you proud that your music made someone a lot of money and you got 12 cents out of the deal? And that might sound harsh, but that's what the fact of the matter is. That's like someone coming to me going, why doesn't Poison Crew fill my bar with a lot of people? And then it'll be good promotion for the band. And my answer would be like, well, promotion, free promotion doesn't pay my mortgage. Yeah. That, so that's a good call, that's man. Uh, I'm, so, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. sorry. To get, yeah, I'm sorry to get you in that territory because I know that's, it, it's no, just, no, I know okay. I've talked about it with other musicians too about, you know, especially trying to get your signal out there and trying to get something going. I mean, you and I, we lived through a, a specific set of time that we've seen this usher in. You know, we used to go to those record stores, go to Crow's Nest or wherever you could go, you know, and just go buy our music every month. And now it's just, it's always on my device and I could just click a button and get it, which is great. But for that to not go to the musicians and the artists is ridiculous. It's like, it's that never ending growth model. Like they got to keep making more money. It's like, how about you just make it right with the, the musicians, man, the people giving you that content. I don't know why that doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, and there's arguments. There's going to be people listen to this and just say, well, you just don't know whatever. And it's kind of like, well, what I do know is this. You can listen to a 1,000 artists, 10,000 artists complain that Spotify is making billions and that they're not making any money. And that tells the story. You can make all the excuses you want. You can say everybody's old. But the fact is, is if one person using another person's product to make billions and the people's product is not making money, that tells you there's a problem. Doesn't yeah. mean we're old. Doesn't mean we don't know what we're doing. It means someone's using our stuff to make themselves a lot of money at our expense. Yeah. And that's just what it is. Yeah. So anyway, back to back to fun things. So um so, <laughs> hit me. Sorry about that. I'm oh, terribly good. sorry. No, it's good. Um, that's that's gotta so, be out there. Yeah, so um I got approached by Paul DeMarco. So Paul and I go back years. Paul plays bass and poison crew. And um, back in the day, in the 80s, um, I was in a bunch of bands, and I got approached to play keyboards, only keyboards in most Dream Police in the late 80s, oh, cool. and Paul played bass. And so I was just playing keyboards in that band. They didn't want me playing guitar. You know, I don't know what that was about. I think it was because I was going to be like Ingve in every one of the cheap trip, trick songs, and they didn't want any part of that, which is understandable, <laughs> to be fair. Nobody wants Malmsteen runs, and do, I want you to want me. You know, I want you, you know. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. I do. So I just played keys in that band. Oh, yeah, you, you do. There's a bunch of guys who be like, dude, that sounds great, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, show, show um, Rick how to do that. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, he's great for what he does. You know, he's a great songwriter and stuff. Oh, yeah. So everybody, yep. Everybody's a different kind of player, but... So I was playing keys in there. So Paul and I go way back. So I played with him for years and I had a good time. And then I hadn't talked to him in forever. And I had my Tom Skull's Rockman, by the way. He borrowed it and I never saw that. So 30 years later, we get back together. He gives me my Rockman back with the same batteries in there. Oh, no. It looks like, a, it looks like you know, I open up the battery compartment. It looks like we're doing a biology experiment. And there's battery stuff all over. I'm like, hey, thanks for taking the batteries out, whatever. Um, so he tells me up one day, he's like, dude, you want to play in this cover band? And I needed to make money because I'd gotten divorced and I hadn't started some of these other businesses that I got going. So I was like, sure. You know, I was pulling teeth because I'll be honest with you. I used to make fun of cover bands. I still kind of do. I'm in one and I play all the time and it's fun, but I kind of make fun of myself. Um, 
But uh, so I joined with these dudes, and mainly because Paul asked me. And the thing about DeMarco is he is a lovely man. He's just a very kind, super great guy. All the guys employed in the crew are my friends and my brothers. And I don't just say that. Like, we've been doing this together for seven, eight years. We hang out together. We go on vacation together. I mean, we do a lot of stuff together. I mean, we really are like a big family. And, uh, you know, we try to all work together. It's really cool like that. So DeMarco calls me up, and I decided after this experience that we're never going to, like, Tijuana because the man can convince me to do about anything. He calls me up and he goes, (laughs) dude, come play in this cover band. And he knows I hate cover bands. But he's asking me anyway. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, uh, he's like, dude, come on, it'll be, it'll be fun. We'll have a laugh. And I'm listening to his voice. I'm like, uh, you know, this is why we're never going to Tijuana because I'll end up in a donkey show or something. He'll <laughs> be like, come on, dude, what could go wrong, man? It's going to be great. <laughs> you know, let's say, you know, I'm dressed like Bo Peep. I'm like, what the hell is this <laughs> So I go and jam, um, and Paul's there, and I always have fun with Paul because he's a great guy, great musician, and uh, Brent Sarah seems like a nice guy. And long story short, um, we jam, and what was really funny is there was two guys in the band when I first got there. So it was me, myself, another guitar player, the drummer, Paul, and Brent. And I get there, and I was replacing guitar player, so I didn't know anybody wanted me to do it. And so, like, if there's one thing whenever I'm in an environment when I don't know dudes, I walk in and I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? We're kind of like a team. You know, what do you want me to do? Am I splitting leads with people? You want me to play rhythm? What do you want me to do? I'll just do it. Just What are we doing here? So the other guitar player was like, oh, I'm going to do the lead in this one. I'm going to do the lead. And then um, about the third song, I was like, okay, so I'm playing the rhythm. But also we get the third song and uh, all of a sudden he goes, oh, I'm going to do the lead this one. And the drummer stands up. There's a different drummer. that Vince was not in the band. And starts screaming at the other guitar player. You didn't play the leads before. You're not doing them now. This is terrible. Did you play the leads? You just keep playing the rhythm. I'm like oh, looking God. at these two guys. Holy Jesus Christ! What just happened? I literally was like, this is like insane, right? Like the whole time, I'm like, sorry, I'm screwing this stupid thing here. So, um, he's like, uh, I'm, I'm now. I'm like, what the. F- what the hell just happened? These people are like about ready to kill each other. I'm like, sure, I'm gonna be in a band with a bunch of guys trying to kill each other. That'll be a good time. So, um, you know, Paul's laughing at the end of the whole thing. I think I even got a flat tire. There was like a snowstorm. I think I had a flat tire to change their practice. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going back for this. So then (laughs) Paul again convinces me to come to the next practice. And then I show up and now those two guys are gone, the drummer and guitar player. There's a new drummer and it's just me, Paul, and the new drummer. Um, I'm like, could this get any stranger? Like, I'm like, this is just getting weirder by the minute. I'm like, you know, what are we in Guns N' Roses? Is we dudes every other week? It's like, you know, at that one point after Guns N' Roses broke up, like, you know, actual, you know, he clearly had like musician's friend on call and he was like, just bring, or whatever that uh, thing where you go online and you could look up museum uh, musicians classified. Yeah, he was just bringing yeah. people in left and right. You know, he'd like, he'd like, I forget how many dudes he had in the band, but like I don't know how many guitar players Buckethead Bucket, was in yeah. there, Bumpfoot was in there. <laughs> yep. There was someone else, then DJ Aspa. I mean, it was like you know he was just getting on the phone with Musicians Institute, going, "Send me whatever freak guitar player you got, and I'll fire him next week." So, yeah. um, so then we're talking about what we're gonna do, and I basically said, "Well, look, I'm in this for the money. I need money. You know, I'm a single dad with two kids at this point. I'm like, yeah, I'm in this for the money." 
so I don't want to bring in another guitar player. But only for that reason. I actually like working with other guitar players. In my solo band, the C.D. Clark band, I have another guitar player, Brian McKenna, and the dude's awesome. Yep. He plays leads, harmonies. He does rhythms. He plays acoustic. He does whatever. And he's kind of like the – he's almost like um, – what do they call that? The music director, the MD of the band, because he'll remember like parts of things that I don't remember. Like he'll be like, Oh no, this parts here. And I'll be like, for real? And he's like, yeah. And he'll remember like <laughs> him and Barry, the bass player, Barry Cliver, awesome bass player, like one of the best. Um, those two will be like, Oh, this is the thing. And Barry has a chart book and stuff so he can cross check everything. So those kind of, those guys kind of like hit and then Vince writes the set list in the Clark band. Okay. So honestly, my own band is kind of dictated by everybody else in the band. I just sit there and play leads. They're just like, go stand over there and shred. We're going to deal with everything else. <laughs> so, That's perfect. And Vince, oh yeah, I mean, you know, and I kind of like it, like, because it's a really like a, um, it's like a real live democracy, even though it's my solo band. And I guess I ultimately have the final say, but the truth of the matter is, is if the boys come to me and say something, I usually go with them. Like, I'll be like, what are we doing this wise? And this was Fritz Clark band what do you think we should do? And then they'll all be like, well, we should try this one. And Vince will pull stuff off like the early records and be like, dude, let's, let's try this one. Like, nice. They're just great dudes in the Clark fan. And so anyway, so back to Poison Crew, because I'm clearly like short attention span theater here. So we're back <laughs> to Poison Crew and we had a drummer and he was a good drummer and a great singer. And he plays in many of the local bands on the circuit, but he was kind of in and out. He's kind of like looking, I don't think Poison Crew is what he really wanted to do. He's just kind of playing with us, trying to work his way into some better bands that were making more money because Poison Crew was not very good in the beginning and we weren't making any money. Okay. So then I called Vince and I kind of like, well, Vince, want to make some money playing this cover band? And, you know, Vince is always super nice and he's like a total rock star, killer drummer. So he's like, sure, I'll come, I'll come out. So Excellent. he kind of solidified the lineup. And then we just started growing from there. And, you know, I kind of like, in the beginning, I was kind of hard on Brent because I, I was telling him, I'm like, look, dude, I can play guitar upside down in a fishbowl on fire and Paul <laughs> can jump off buildings playing bass and Vince can, you know, do whatever. I'm like, but the bottom line is this band's going to stand or fall on your vocals and your frontman performance. Yep. I'm like, I don't Gotta need to it. be so rough, but, you know, I can go out there and yeah, I'm going to be pretty effective at what I do. And, you know, Vince is going to be awesome at what he does and Paul's going to be great. I'm like, but we can only do so much. So I was kind of rough on him in the beginning, but that's just because I knew he had so much more to give. And, uh, and it worked out. Who even yeah. to this day, he goes, kind of a dick to me the whole time. He's like, but I got to be honest, it actually paid off. And I'm like, and I, I, even, I even said later, I'm like, look, I'm sorry I'm so hard on you. Because he's a lot younger than we are. Oh, okay. You know, he's way younger than we are. He is like 40 or something. And we're all, I don't want to talk about it, but we're all old. So, uh, <laughs> You know, we had a lot more experience and he had to, you know, uh, he had to really, really kind of play catch up, you know. It was kind of almost unfair because we had so much more experience and pro experience at that. And we were kind of like, especially me, I was kind of like, you got to get to this level. Like I wanted him to be David Lee Roth. Right. Like now. So, which, you know, <laughs> Let's yeah, go. Absolutely. Completely realistic expectation, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, like, hello. Um so that's how Poison Crew kind of came about. And um, what I mentioned before is like when you were talking about the guitar keyboard thing. So that came about where Brent started wanting to use tracks. And I am so against tracks. Good for you. Like I went on a tangent about streaming. I won't even go into my tangent about tracks. But I will <laughs> say that just very simple. You know, I didn't sit in my room for six, eight hours a day as a kid practicing all these instruments 
becoming a complete social reject because you don't know how to talk to anybody because all you do is sit there and play guitar all day long. Yeah. Like I didn't do that so I can get in a band and we just use a bunch of backing tracks. That is the weakest, and I don't care what anybody says again. You know, yep. you don't agree with me. You know, go learn an instrument, then come talk to me. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and so Brent, you know, he's like, do you want to use tracks? And I'm like, I'm quitting the band right now if you even suggest using tracks again. So then I just said, screw it. And I went and bought a keyboard because I don't think I had a functioning keyboard at that point. And I just started going, you know, I already play keyboards anyway. So I'm like, well, I got to figure out how so many songs to play guitar and keyboards at the same time. Um, and that's kind of how that came about was where I refused to use tracks so much that I just trained myself to do those things. Um, Very and I also think, <laughs> well, and I also think too, like you said it earlier, like I like to put on a show. I feel strongly like, look, I didn't write these songs. People are going to come see tonight. I didn't write any of those songs. Um, so my job is to be an entertainer for the club. Yep. My job is to be an entertainer for the audience. And those people are paying good money. And I expect to play the best of my ability and put on a fun show that they can laugh at and have some drinks and forget about the rest of their day for a while, you know, right um, on. you know, and, and I feel strong about that. And the guitar keyboard thing, you know, it comes into that. It's kind of a visual thing, you know, but it's weird is I don't think most people realize it. Like, I, I'm not so certain most people pick up on that. Like, I think most people, it's lost on them. I do it, right? And I think that they just don't, I don't think they realize what's going on, which uh, is okay. I think they do, man, because it's just like, even if you're, you know, you're not a musician, you can go up there and see a guy playing two instruments. It's pretty impressive, no matter what, you know, because most of them in the crowd can't play one. So, <laughs> and they're hearing their favorite song and one guy doing two of the parts. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying something that is very nice, you know, um, and uh, like I said, you know, I, I, I got a credit. So I have this weird thing. I credit my grandpa for getting me into all this, for better or for worse. I should be sometimes scorning him for getting me into the music business in general. <laughs> so we have a great saying about the music business. Do you know how you make a million dollars in the music business? How's that? You start with two million. It's <laughs> the same thing in, my, in the restaurant fiber. business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a Barry Cliver quote. I got to give Barry, the bass player from the Clark Band, all credit for that one. That was his quote, greatest quote in the history of music quotes. But, <laughs> yeah, my grandfather was the one who got me in there and got me to wanting to be diligent and practice and be, you know, good. Like, I got into playing music just because I wanted to play and be a good musician. I didn't get into it for the girls or the drugs or any of that other stuff. Although the girls, I'm not going to lie, was a nice byproduct. But, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> But part of the problem was, is when you're 16 and playing guitar eight hours a day, you don't know how to talk to girls anyway. So that didn't really come into play so much <laughs> later. I was like completely socially awkward for like the first whatever, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. what did you do all this? Well, I worked and tried to do some homework, not really. And then I practiced guitar for, you know, 40 hours this week. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Talked to girls. I'm like, yeah, I almost know how to do that. So. <laughs> so. Well, that's fantastic, but, yeah. man. Who so was that, your, uh... kind of... oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you saying? Oh, you're good. I was just wondering who your uh, your main influences are. I've heard some stuff in your playing, but I didn't want to assume who you had. But uh, who are some of your uh, heavy hitters that you really enjoy as far as uh, guitar players? Like big influences on you, you'd say. Um, you know, uh, well, I would have to say that I'm going to start to be very broad and say pretty much every guitar player that I've ever listened to, starting with Drew Abbott from Bob Seger to Ingvay Malmsteen and, and Paul Gilbert and Elliot Easton and Peter Frampton. I mean, I love everybody. And I'm always trying to incorporate 
what everybody does in tonight playing. Like I, I love the lyricalness of a Neil Sean, but I love the technique of a Tony McAlpine. But uh, I also Tony, love the yeah. lyricalness of a Tony McAlpine, and I love some of the cool techniques Joe Satriani does. Even though Joe is more known for his melodies, he does some great technique stuff. And Vinnie Moore, like I love all these guys, pretty much everybody. I would say if I had to narrow it down to a hardcore couple, I'm a big Gary Moore fan. I'm a big Michael Schenker fan. I'm a big Ingvay Malmsteen fan, and that's a whole story there because I've done a lot of shows with him. And apparently, he's mad at me now. I don't know what that's about, but um, <laughs> I'm a big. Uh, I, I like. Um, yeah, those are probably the big ones. I love um, Al Di Miola and Paco Delicia and John McLaughlin and Strunz and Farah. I love those guys too. I'm a big Strunz and Farah fan. If you guys don't know Strunz and Farah, go look them up. They're two nylon shred fusion psychopaths. They got like 20 <laughs> albums out. Just, it's insanity. One dude's from Iran and the other guy's Costa Rican. And they just do this incredible Latin fusion, Middle Eastern, and it's all nylon like shredding. I mean, they do each other their minds. Like they're just great. So, you know, but I'm a big Michael Schenker fan. I'm a big Gary Moore fan. Um, you know, obviously a lot of Malmsteen, no question. I mean, you know, it's like... <laughs> I mean, oh, that makes my that uh, makes my heart so happy. <laughs> That's that yeah, one of my favorites, awesome. man. He was always one of my favorites. All the other, I don't know, obviously no. Dude, he's so good. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, dude, I, as I was saying, so when I was uh, going through your, uh, well, the only three albums I can get a hold of at the time, but I, I just seen your progression from, uh, what you said it's personalities, then perspective, then uh, next big adventure, and I'm missing two of them, right? Yeah, Shred Town Stories, which probably is one of my best records. I know I heard as... a song off it, but that's all I got from it that I could find, which was fantastic. Well, you could probably hear it burned on YouTube. So you might as well go there and listen to it there. You could probably find it there, sadly. But um, Well, I can buy it. <laughs> yeah, no and then I got a Christmas <laughs> album called uh, Under Your Tree. And I, I actually had a, a vocal original Christmas song I wrote on there, of all things. Oh, nice. So, but yeah, but I, I mean, you know, as far as the influence, there's just so many. Like lately, I've been getting into a lot of jazz fusions. I really like like Mike Stern. And I like, like, uh, I've been getting into like a lot of Wes Montgomery and Charlie Christian when I'm trying to play jazz stuff. And when I, and I, I say trying to, because I'm, you know, I mean, I play, let's put it this way. I, I can play jazz sort of, but I'm certainly no jazzer. And I have yeah. to give a local guy, Dave Yurick, a lot of credit for turning me on to jazz stuff two years ago. Him and I jammed together and Dave is just probably one of the greatest guitar players that have ever come out of Chicago. And he might be in my top 20 of all time. The guy's out of his mind, dude. Wow. And he was this big fusion head back in the day, and he still does. Like, he does everything, Dave. But he turned me on to Jamie Abersall's lesson books, which I learned a lot of stuff from that. So oh, okay. Dave some... Yeah, Dave is awesome. Yeah, but so, you yeah, heard... so that would be the thing. Who did you hear in my playing, by the way? Oh, and Joe Satriani, too. I'm a Satriani fan. Yeah, I definitely heard some Satriani and uh, uh, Santana and Ingve. That's what I had written down. But as I was kept listening to it, like, uh, when I, let's see, uh, personalities that, that laundry in Madrid, like 
yeah. Good lord, man. <laughs> like you just you hit like uh like I could compare you to one of those guys, but you seem to like take all the all of these guys and like it went through your filter and your, you know, way to put it out there and became this original thing because it was like I never knew what direction you were going anytime. I was like, usually I can get a feel for somebody and be like, all right, well, he's going to jam through this. He's going to come up here and go through. I'm like, you are just off the fucking charts, man. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I know you, you say ADHD, but whatever it's doing, it like, it compels me to want to listen to the next song more because it's like, I don't know what the fuck he's going to do. And he's all <laughs> over the place. And I love it, man. So it's just like, I like how you pushed, you, you made your own style. I guess, I guess how you made your own style. Cause it's, it's very unique. Well, one thing that's always been interesting is that, like, I can cover guys pretty well, you know, but I don't necessarily cover them. I think it's like 100% perfect. Like, I think Good. I do about 80%, and then I throw in like a 20% of myself because I can't figure it out or I'm just being lazy or I, I don't know, maybe I don't care or something. But by doing that, then <laughs> whenever I would go to my own stuff, it always would be this weird mix of, all these dudes I listen to and I hijack from all of them. Like I wish I could tell you, Oh yeah, I'm all original. I'm a hi I hijack from everybody. So no, you have to, you know, everybody I've ever heard a good lick. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but I know that like, there's just so many things like we were talking about influences. So on, on next big adventure record, there's a song called from the top of the tour Eiffel. And the first riff is this. Yeah. That whole bit there? Oh, yeah. That's a total Gary Moore, Michael Shanker. Total. That is so Gary yeah. Moore, Michael Shanker. Yeah, now that you say it, I get it, but I would not, I would not have put that together myself. That was a fantastic well, maybe, song, by the way. Maybe <laughs> to the listener, to you, like, to me, that's me attempting to sound like them. Poorly, right, okay. And maybe that's why it sounds like me, because it's like, hey, that sounds like a poor man's Michael Shanker. <laughs> so it's like, you know, something like that. But that's like what, totally what I was trying to go for with that whole type of thing. Well, you know? what you then, kick off with that, uh, I'm sorry, that next big adventure when you start, was it uh, seat 226 Oh, yeah, 26 yeah, Holy, whatever, yeah. Talk about kicking off an album, man. <laughs> that was a but, fantastic you know opener. And, and that song in particular was really influenced by, of all things, extreme. Like, I'm a big Nuno Betancourt fan. I should have given him more props earlier. But that whole middle section is going like... Whatever, that whole movement yeah, through the middle yeah, yeah. was totally inspired by, like, Nuno Betancourt and extreme. So, because that kind of changes keys in there, and it kind of does... I don't even remember exactly what I did. It's all... You know, I gotta yeah. figure out my own record. I remember what the <laughs> hell I did there, but um, that's just hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's funny you mentioned Nuno because I've been catching you up. I uh, secretly friended you on Facebook, and I st seen that you were uh, playing. You'd uh, tune in live every now and then, do the Facebook live, and I'll just and I just had a podcast a few weeks ago, right when Nuno came out with that new song and lead, and I was like amazed by it and then i saw you see your ass playing it and i'm like jesus christ <laughs> like i gotta get this guy on i was like you're just like you were playing a piece of it or something like that on uh 
on your, one of your live streams, oh, well, or you're doing, or maybe you're doing a. I was doing one of the play, older. So things. what I was doing was play with me. I was play with like, me. I hadn't had there a chance to figure out what he was doing, but it's built his. So his new song, Rise, that right. solo section is just incredible. But it's built off of what he kind of does. He's kind of got a certain thing he does with these string skip arpeggios. Yeah. And so, like on Play With Me, he's doing like these two string arpeggios where he's going. So he's doing this arpeggio thing. He's like. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's fantastic all so, my guitar friends are jaws are dropping right now but yeah that is oh, that, well. that is wild bro i just like yeah i just whatever touch you got whatever you've been doing i hope you just keep it up because and are you ever gonna perform uh i don't say ever are you gonna bring out your solo band again do you guys play around like uh, oh yeah so the solo band we support bands at the arcata theater like we did warrant last year we did bluish recall last year we did accept i've done i've probably done 20 25 shows at the arcata supporting rat and uh we did whitford st holmes we did gary holy oh, we did mom's nice. show oh yeah holy's holy's so good i'm sorry yeah oh why yeah. my my fiance sue over here the lovely sue is uh throwing in we did y and t there we did um, what, uh, this really super great fusion cat. What, Neil Morse, we did a couple of shows with Neil Morse. We did a couple of shows with Richie Costin. We've done, I don't know how many shows with Schenker. I did it, or not Schenker, with Malmsteen. I did a tour with Malmsteen. And wow. uh, in 2016, we toured with Malmsteen on Guitar Gods. It was us, Gary, it was us, Bumblefoot, Gary Hoey, and Malmsteen. <laughs> oh, my God. How and, was that? Um, <laughs> Oh, it was totally insane. Um, so we had to audition. First, we had to send an audition, you know, tape or whatever. I sent a video. And the video was when we played with Ingve at House of Blues in Chicago some years earlier. And um, and we had a really good show. And uh, so then we sent the video. So then they're like, okay, you're on the tour, but, you know, it's a buy-on tour. So they wanted money, of course. Everybody does. Yep. So it was a buy-on. So I had to find a, a sponsor. And... Um, Long story short, a friend of mine, we were in L.A. playing the Whiskey of Go-Go with uh, Uli John Ross. Beautiful. And um, it was like the place was sold out. And we were like, we did our set. And we were killing pretty good, you know, like, you know, we, that sounds a little forthright. But we don't go to the Whiskey of Go-Go to, like, you know, screw around and be, you know, whatever. Like, we <laughs> want to have fun. But we went into the, like, you know, kick ass and take names. So um, a friend of mine uh, who also happens to be, uh, he's my music attorney, he had a buddy with him. And the guy comes up and he's like, dude, you guys are better than Kiss. Holy smokes, that show was insane. <laughs> and, it, and people were going nuts. It was, we got it on video somewhere, it's on YouTube somewhere live, and, and people were going crazy. So he's like, yeah, you guys are awesome, man. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, you know, blah, 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 blah. So then spin to a couple of years later, I'm trying to find a sponsor. This friend of my friend owns a company, and he's trying to do uh, promotion for a company called Six Tricks. It's like a YouTube, but it's for extreme sports. Okay. So they put up a bunch of money for us to go on tour. And then here's an interesting story. So Ingve gets a bad rap. Um, oh, and yeah. Sometimes deservedly so, and I'll get into that <laughs> in a minute. But on the buy-on for us, he made the buy-on, like, it was supposed to be, like, 20 grand buy-on. It ended up only being, like, five grand. Oh, okay. Which was good because our entire budget that we got from the uh, sponsor was 20 grand. And that was to get the van, get the trailer, wrap it all in promotional stuff. 
feed us and put us on the road for two or three weeks. Okay. Which, you know, sounds like a lot of money, but not when, you know, five dudes, the four of us, plus a merch guy who's helping with everything else is out on the road with you. You know, that's not a lot of money. And, um, yeah, so Inga actually dropped the price down for us. So he did really cool. I probably just aired that to everybody and, you know, he'll probably kill me, but he's already mad because we were supposed to, I've done like, I don't know how many shows with Inga at this point, but a lot. We've probably done 15, 16 shows with him at least. Okay. Well, we were supposed to play with him a couple years ago and he canceled us and canceled me off the bill. Uh, I got a call from Ron Onesti going, yeah, these people just called up and they're, they found out you're on the bill and they're all mad. But, and he goes, but I, they're the ones who approved you in the first place. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know what that's all about. And he's like, yeah, did you do anything? I'm like, well, it's not like I hang around with Yngwie, so I don't know what I did. And I think Yngwie is honestly one of the greatest guitar players ever set foot on the planet. Period. Same. Yeah. You know, he might get a rap for being a lot of things. But genius is one of the things that he is. Uh, and again, if genius means you're a little out there and you're not all that presentable or you're not all that friendly, whatever, you know, you're just, he's just that far above everybody else. You know I mean? Right just, on. The dude's yep. a genius. But yeah, he cut us, for some unknown reason, he cut us. And that's how we ended up opening for Warrant the next night at Arcada, which was a Friday and it was sold out. So we were like, okay, whatever. But yeah, so the solo band plays all the time. And I just played at Broken Ore doing my Christmas show this past winter. And then we're going to do another show. It looks like at um, Broken Ore on June 17th with the Clark Band. I'm going to be doing all my own music. Oh, well, I'll nice. do a bunch of my own music. I'll do probably 15 instrumentals. We're going to do some vocal songs. And then we're going to do some covers, instrumental covers by some of my favorites. So we're going to do some Hoey. We're going to do some Malmsteen. We're going to do, I've been working on this. Don't look at that later. Oh my god. <laughs> so we were working on that so we're going to do that i think poison crew might start doing that too yeah um, i think that's a great but idea. yeah the clark fans <laughs> going to be doing stuff we do a lot more like um national supports when we do play out that's kind of what we do because like you know trying to book an instrumental original band even though we've done quite a bit it's just you know promoters they're just reluctant to book you you know i mean the draw is okay like you know we did we probably did 100 people upstairs at Broken Ore when we did the Christmas show. It's pretty packed. And Sorry it wasn't to in the jump in there really quick. Where is where is Broken Ore? It's in Port Barrington, Illinois. Port Barrington. Okay. Like I, I know of it and I've yeah. been there, but it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So we play there. Yeah, we play there quite a bit. Um, by the way, am I making this go too long, this podcast? You need to, whenever you, you got to cut me off. It's the best thing sure about, it's, it. a, it's the best and worst thing about a podcast. We go as long as, as long as you're not bored and, you don't mind me asking you silly questions. I, I whenever you are want to be done, we can be done. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm totally into it. So whatever you want to do. Oh, okay. Oh, we still got time as long as you got time. So yep. Honey, is there anything you need me to do? Uh, well, I gotta ask. Or the the guitarist will kill me. You know how geeky we are. What? what oh, no, no, you, no, no. Ask me. You know what? I kind of just hijacked this whole thing. Ask away, sir. <laughs> what What is your current rig and what uh, guitar are you playing? Well, right now. Um, I know we got the so amp. I'm using, a, I'm using this Atomic Amplifier 12 as kind of like a direct rig. 
And then um, I have a couple outboard pedals, which is weird to have analog pedals, but when you can't, you know, really, I suck at like this whole digital age stuff. It's the worst. So um, <laughs> I use some outboard gear. I have a um, Spark, uh, TC Electronic Spark. It's kind of like a, like, it's kind of like a tube screamer type feel. Oh, okay. Then okay. I have an MXR Auto Wah that I use. Then I use, um, I have a Morley Wah that I use. Um, and then um, I have a Boss Super Phaser and I have a Boss uh, uh, Tuner pedal. Okay. And then I use a uh, volume pedal, I have a volume thing. And then, um, so that's kind of my new direct rig. Right. The rig that I used, I used for concerts forever was the Simul Class 90 Mesa Boogie Power Amp with a Rocktron Prophecy 2. Okay. You kept with the Rocktron, huh? Nice. Years. Oh, I loved it. I loved that. Nice. Uh, honestly, I was, I'm considering it breaking it out of mothball, but it's so <laughs> big and heavy. Yeah. Uh, I use it at home all the time. Oh, cool. I'm working on some instrumental songs. I have like five or six new instrumentals coming out, and I've got five or six vocal songs coming out, and I've been using it down there, and it sounds awesome. I love it. It's just the, the Mesa power amp, that thing alone weighs like 30, 40 pounds. Like, yep. it's just massive. And then when you put it in the rack box, you know, it's like 60 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And I'm an old man, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like first I run around for three hours, and then I'm weightlifting after a show goes and gear out <laughs> You know, it's like, all right. <laughs> Are you pushing that through a Marshall cabinet? I thought I seen. Yeah, I was running Marshall JCM 900. Oh, okay, cool. So, um, as far as uh, guitars, so I had an endorsement with ESP LTD for like ever. Okay, um, I don't I really you think I'm really. Yeah, I don't think I'm officially with them anymore. It, it kind of like I think my key man left, and I never bothered to follow through. Okay. Um, but I got a bunch of LTD guitars, um, and uh, I usually yank out the pickups and put in Seymour uh, Duncan's 59 uh, next position and JB bridge. I think it's SH4 for the JB in technical terms. Uh, but yeah, that's the kind of the combination I've been using. And I got this really cool double neck guitar that I started using with Poison Crew. It's a 12-string acoustic thin line on the top neck and oh, an nice. electric six solid body. Okay. Um, and so I yanked out the pickups in there and Gil Carlson did a lot of work there. Um, nice. But yeah, I usually put them all in there. And for the longest time I was using EMG, but they were not active. It was SROs and those are great pickups too. And I used those for a couple of records and for years of touring and whatever. And yeah, I, I did a record with those. D. Schneider. Yeah, I did a record with D. Schneider and I actually used my red MH. 301 guitar that has had the piss beat out of it with, um, <laughs> I think that had the EMGs in it, the SROs. And I did some solos on that record from 2016. And that guitar just sounds great. I remember when I went to an audition with Chris Medina from American Idol, I was playing guitar for him for a while. And I remember I was using Jesus. a Tech 21 combo amp and uh, this guitar and like a tube screamer or something. I remember we got done with the first tuning turns around and goes man that guitar sounds great and, I was just, and it's all it's all like held together by tape and like binder twine things all beat the shit you know that's what's so funny like so many guys are posting on facebook these beautiful pristine guitars it's like every guitar i have has had the shit beat out of it yeah, it's, it's rusted like, from sweat and shit yeah. dude, i mean to me they're tools right they're not you know i'm not going to take a guitar to like the family picnic oh, oh no, I, like, it's all I like hearing this too it's like my guitar is all beat the shit like you know oh and then um uh, so right now i'm playing 
This is an MH-103QM LTD. Okay. This one, I put in the Duncans, and then I also yanked out the trim, and I put in a, um, this is a TRS-101, which is a Katuchi trim, which is kind of like a Floyd knockoff. But here's the weird part. I have these in a bunch of my guitars. I actually prefer them over the original Floyd. I know that sounds terrible. Yeah, that's weird. But, um, I, know, I, know. I like because you can get a lot of turf. I don't know. Can you hear that okay? Oh, that's the secret, because that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's a Brad Gillis technique. Yeah. And by the way, that's another technique that Nuno Betancourt uses on one of the tunes where he's going. <laughs> that's a total Brad Gillis thing. Yeah, I could pull that so, off every <laughs> now and then. <laughs> but that, that is you know what you a have fun to do? one. That's, what's that? Tell me. You, take, uh, you hit your note, and then you flick the trim bar with your finger. You don't actually hold it. You just flick it. You just flick oh, it, and so it gives fun. it that chirping sound. And that is such a, that's so Brad Gillis. So if you want to know who really the king of the whammy bar is, it's Brad Gillis. He doesn't get near enough credit these days. People talk like Steve Vai and Eddie Van Halen. I'm sorry, I no. love Vai and Van Halen. But the king of the whammy bar, without a doubt, is Brad Gillis. There's no question. Brad he invented, like, all this stuff. Oh, dude, listen to him in Night Ranger. Yeah, he's a Night Ranger. He's an Ozzy. Go listen to Ozzy Speak of the Devil and listen to his shit. Oh, yeah. Jeez, I forgot all about he Randy Speak of the Randy Devil. Road. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what I'm using right now. It's just this, and it's probably not a super high-end LTD. Um, that's cool. You said, and, uh, uh, you were talking earlier, I'm sorry, that you played with uh, D. Snyder, too, from Twisted Sister? Yeah, I did a record with him. That's, that's the so We Are the Ones? Record. Yep. Yeah, oh, I played okay. a solo on a track called uh, Close to You. Oh, okay. I was and, wondering what uh, song. I actually played a solo on a couple tracks in there, but I played guitar. Like, he didn't have a lot of leads on that album. Yeah. There's, like, um, Paul Crooks, who was in Meatloaf, and as well as Anthrax, played some leads on there. Um, I played some leads on there. I'm trying to think somebody else played some leads on there. But, um, yeah, I used my red guitar for that, and that exact setup that I told you about, the Simul Class 90 uh, with the Rocktron and my red guitar, and that was it, and that's what I used for that. Um, and those solos on there, they told me, they're like, we don't want any like crazy, whatever. We want cool stuff, you know? And I'm like, well, can you define cool stuff? Cause I kind of think there's a lot of different cool stuff. Like, you got an idea? And they're like, well, we just don't want like shredding. Uh, and I said, okay. So I think my actual solo on that starts out. Yeah. I think that's how it actually starts out. It's... Yeah. I think that's actually how it starts yeah, with incredible. some of that chirping stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, because, yeah, the producer sitting there, you know, my first couple passes through was like, you know, it sounded like Paul Gilbert, you know, well, a poor man's Paul Gilbert trying to play over a D. Schneider song. <laughs> so, um, so that's what it sounded like. And then, you know, the producer's like, uh, dude, can we dial it back to like, like, 11? way less notes? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, mate, you're on 11. Can we dial it back to about three? <laughs> So, yeah, so that's my rig I'm using right now. And then um, I also have another MH301 red guitar that I use for Poison Crew because Poison Crew is in a half step. Nice. Um, but I have a variety of LTDs. I have one Charvel Jackson, or just a Charvel someone gave me as a gift, which is a beautiful guitar. And I use that with Poison Crew um, sometimes. Uh, and then I have a Flying Z, 
that just happens to be ESP LTD that my beautiful girlfriend bought me. Oh, shout out. Um, oh, yeah, she's awesome. She bought me this. She found it at a, we, we found it together at a pawn shop. And it was with the hard shell case, like 200 bucks or something. Oh, wow. Get home with, with a beautiful hard shell case and everything. And so I yanked the pickups out and had it redone. And I use that with Poison Crew, too. It, gives me, it gives, makes me feel like I'm Michael Shanko, really. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Although he's German. Why do I sound like Michael Shanko, yeah? <laughs> Get that yeah, German out of you. And I got to yeah, ask, yeah. too, you do a couple of, uh, I just noticed your attack when you're playing, uh, like, on an acoustic. What are you using uh, for your acoustic guitar? Oh, okay. So I, I had the songs wrote down, but I can't remember what song it was. I just know that I had it on my notes about your, just the way you play an acoustic is just so, I don't know, call it aggressive or, but just the way you, you attack the thing and it sounds so cool. Like it's a very unique sound to an acoustic. I don't know if you had certain well, ones you play. That's like uh, my Al Miola and Paco de Lucia. Like, so I was heavily into like flamenco Latin fusion, as I mentioned. And I used to go to Spain all the time. Long story. I was married to a person from there. So I spent many years jamming nylon guitars with all these flamenco guys. And while I couldn't really finger pick like they did, I could use my you know regular pick and run all these like, you know. stuff like that i would be playing on my nylon guitar though because i had to play nylon guitar with these guys okay so that guitar i think um the one you're talking about that i used the most back then i think it was a top takamini okay cool takamini nice yeah i think that was when i used there and then i just recently bought a new guitar actually you know what you can actually see that guitar i do a live video where i'm just playing the guitar at the arcada and i think that was i think i just did a solo show because that was what was requested by the venue um and it's just me and my guitars and I, was, I do this nylon guitar thing. It's a real cool video. You can find I'm just sitting there with my guitar, but I'm playing that guitar. I think it's a Takamine. I don't remember, but I okay. think it's a Takamine. And uh, I do a bunch of like, uh, you know, I'll show it to my page here. So cool. you can see what I'm talking about. Because it's a really, it's actually a really, I'm going to sound a little whatever, but it's actually a moment that I was super proud of because it's just me and my guitar. Um just playing this thing and i had written this at my son's swimming lesson like the day before uh yeah i'm gonna find it here because i don't even want to repost it yeah it was pretty uh incredible just listening to i mean as i said you and your your style is just like you take so much from everything i guess but in the way you play and what you whatever your style has become it's definitely a td clark sound and it's just like it's so cool to hear that through every song and then from listening from those old records up to newer ones i was like wow he just like you kept fine-tuning everything it seems like and just you know really putting yourself out there as far as like you're not holding back and there's a like you know you play fast and slow but it's just like that attack is so gruff and in your face it's it's really cool style man oh well you know what man i gotta say i really appreciate you like saying um, this actually is so cool to hear you saying you listen to my records and you've spent some time. I do a lot of interviews. That's why I sent you that link earlier. I do a lot of interviews and people don't really do any homework on me at all. The fact you listen to all the songs and you're basically telling me like you're hearing my own style, like that's super nice. I appreciate it. Like that's the one thing a guitar player tries to do their whole life is come up with their own unique style. Yeah, and you got so it. <laughs> I to do that, you know? And like I sometimes feel like with Poison Crew, like I always say these 80s songs are going to destroy my chops. 
but it's like, you know, because try playing Poison and Miley Crew. It's like, I never play the songs like the records. I'm always dressing them up as best I can. It's like, I do a version of, like, every single song that we do from Motley Crue or Poison, it's like Jakey Lee, Nuno, George Lynch, <laughs> Michael Shanker, and all of them got together to play these licks. Yep. Because I'd be lying if I said for a second that I'm a big fan of CeCe DeVille, for God's sake. So, oh, just, yeah. I know you don't, I, I was, uh, I've been in a bunch of bands myself just as a kid. I, I, I had a bunch of original bands, and then my last band was a cover band. So I know your pain, <laughs> but I know also know having to play those leads and I, you know, we had to do poison too and stuff like that. But man, it's, uh, I like the way you did it. Cause you, you still, you'll like give the essence of that solo, but then for every guitar player out there, we're just like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> like he's like holding back, I think. And then you'll slam into something just totally CC could never do on his best day and then bring it back to the line. You know, <laughs> just like, oh, this is like. It's like a, it's like I'm seeing, you know, I get to see through the matrix a little bit, you know, it's so fun. So I appreciate that, man. As a guitar player, I'm just like, oh, I dig it. Well, and I appreciate you guys seeing that because honestly, like I have to play these songs like, and there's like one Poison tune in particular we do Cat Dragon, right? It's a good song for what it is. And again, I'd like to point out Poison and C.C. DeVille and Mick Mars. These guys sold a hell of a lot more records than me. Right on, right on. So, yep. you know, you know, we got to give props where it's due. I'm still, you know, doing whatever. Um. So, but there's a, I always throw in these Jakey Lee type rhythms in a lot of the Poison songs because they always are so like wide open. They'll be like, um, <laughs> yeah. right? so then it goes into this like, and you got the C chord hanging there. And if there's some lush harmonies or something going on, yeah. that I was stomping at, I'd probably lay back, but there's nothing. It just sucks. So I'll be like, you know. Something like that. You yeah. Know, throw I, in different lines to dress it up to make it not so freaking boring. Yeah, I watched your guys' uh, video on that. And then his solo, too, at the end, is so terrible. Like, he does this <laughs> thing where it's like, he's like, you're like, we going somewhere with this, Captain? Or yeah. where are we headed? So, like, <laughs> so you know, I'll do the first portion of that middle solo. It's like, and again, that's not even really what he does, but it's the it's essence close. of what yep, he's yep, yep. And then at the end of that, you know, I go into a double stop deal. And then Vince does his solo thing, and he goes, and I usually do this, like, Lydian C run up through the scales. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it just seems like it adds so much drama to the song. Yeah, right? it, it does. Like, it's like the song goes, I feel, and maybe I'm a little biased, but I feel like the song freaking goes somewhere. Yes. Right? Like, I feel like the soul is supposed to take the song somewhere. Yeah, it, it pissed me off oh. in a good way because I was like, yeah, because, you know, I, I played it straight and I was just like, oh, my God, this guy is like, you just ran with it. And I was like, and it's only you, too. I don't know if anyone knows. It's a one guitar band. And it's just like you have to fill up some space when it's just you and you accomplish that and you do some unique stuff through it. So, yeah, anyone out there, if you see get a chance to see Poison the Crew. I mean, go do it. It's an event because I mean, yeah, your singer rocks. I've seen the still of the night, and between everybody playing, I mean, you rocked it, of course. Your singer nails that song, and of course, the bass player and drummer are all on it too. So, man, what it's a really cool package. I mean, especially for a musician to go watch that band, it's very cool. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you very much. And everybody in that band is super talented. You know, it's like um, we're definitely a team. 
you know, without them all being great at what they're doing, honestly, they make me sound probably better than I am, but they're just cranking it out. You know, you got to have, got to have a great team around you. And we just, you know, we work together well and we literally do hang on like Vince and I, so Vince is in my solo band. We have this great story since Sue brought up, we played with one AT at the Alcada. We were in Puerto Rico on vacation and Sue's favorite band of all time is YNT. And we've been trying to get on the bill to support them for months and we hadn't heard back. So we're on vacation in Puerto Rico with Vince and his family. So we're all partying and whatever. And all of a sudden it's like a Tuesday night. We get a call in Puerto Rico from Ron and Esky going, so I hear someone wants to open up for uh, Y&T on Saturday night. And I about just crapped myself. I was like, this is so <laughs> awesome. And we were already coming back from Puerto Rico anyway okay. to see the show. We were flying back on Friday. So I literally, um, you know, I talked to Vince and I called the guys at home, Brian and Barry. I said, dudes, we got rehearsal all day Saturday. I go, we'll be in late. I go, we got to rehearse all day and we get Y&T Saturday night. And it was just so crazy. Vince and I are on vacation and we're just like partying, floating in the ocean. We're like, we're going to fly home and play a sold out show with Y&T and we're getting all wasted in the sun. <laughs> we didn't know it. If we were in so Belfast, we almost would be rock stars. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was like a really, really great moment for everybody. It was so much fun. It was just, it was crazy. Yeah, and so, yeah, like, then we'll go for barbecues. Like, Brent bought a beautiful new house, and we'll go over there, watch football games and barbecues and whatever. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's like a really cool bunch of dudes, and they're super talented. You yeah. Know, really. I mean, the band's just great. And we, the number one thing, we really do want to have fun. There's no pretenses. You know, there's some bands who really take themselves serious, I feel, and whatever, and that's fine for other folks. We literally, Honestly, if we could bring strippers and dwarves into a club without getting arrested, we'd be doing it. Like we just right we just want to have fun. Yeah, like the that's show. the whole reason Poison Crew exists is it's like old Van Halen. And when you were talking earlier about me having to sound like two guitar players, I totally steal from the Van Halen book of let's try to be as entertaining, or the Nuno Betancourt book of one guitar player trying to fill a lot of space without being too busy. It's totally Van Halen esque. You know, yeah. like I gotta do all this stuff. And we've actually talked about bringing another guitar player on, and I'm not really against it. You know, we need to, we, we're making really good money now, but we want to get more money, and then we'll think about bringing someone on for certain shows. So, it's, you know, it's, I can work with other guitar players. I do it all the time. I actually kind of like it. I've been playing in a Bad Motor Scooter, a Sammy Hagar tribute band. I started playing with them. Nice. And there's another guitar player, Steve Ehlers. He's a great player, and I love playing with them. I started playing with them because Sue's a big Sammy Hagar fan, and so am I. And it's kind of a nice it's a nice mix up from Poison Crew and even my solo band. Cause my solo band is basically all my instrumental stuff, which isn't bad. I love playing my instrumental stuff, but this gives me like Sammy's just so much fun. Right. And then we do some Van Halen Sammy and I get to play more keys in that band too. And I like doing that. Yeah. And you can play out, yeah, <laughs> play out a lot with that yeah. stuff, you know, and oh, it yeah. works. I mean, you know, at this point, you know, I'm, uh, I've been doing this like forever. I'm 56 now. And uh, I've been playing, you know, guitar my whole life and all these things and i'm at the point now where it's like you know i've got out and done big tours and small tours and you know uh, i've done music for espn and music for movies i did a record with Pete schneider i was working on american idol i kind of feel like i'm kind of in the twilight of my career if you will um well dude you're, you're hitting it really hard because the videos i've seen you are not up there in a rocking chair that's for sure <laughs> you know, well, I'm definitely going to go out with a bang. <laughs> literal, literal, you know, I'm looking at Stu going literally and figuratively a bang. Keep it up over there. <laughs> Pardon? 
Oh, that's badass. Oh, yeah. And I also, I don't know if you knew about this, but I write kids' music books, and I run after-school music programs. Just going to ask. Uh, I, saw, I thought I seen you were an author, too. So, oh. yeah, hit me with everything, man. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So, I run music school programs uh, in District 131, and we're like, they used to be all over, but um, we're down at, we're in District 131, and I just expanded from three schools to ten schools this year. And I write these music books called the Mars Jams, and it's uh, four kids, grades one through five, and the books basically have these four Martian characters, and um, they teach kids how to play guitar and keyboard. And when I wrote the books, um, I had been teaching kids, and two things were driving me crazy. One, people think that a kid's book is, let's take a black and white photo and a bunch of music from 1920, yeah. and then go ahead and <laughs> put that same crap in a book with a colorful color and think that that's going to appeal to kids in the modern age. Right on. So, um, <laughs> and then another thing um, was I felt that um, a big a big thing keeping kids from picking up music was, well, when they're young, they have to learn to read music. And to me, that's like, you know what, man, you don't need to read standard notation to have fun with music. I always feel that that's wrong. Like, it's important, standard notation. And if you're going to pursue certain disciplines, it's, it's necessary. But I think ultimately, music is somebody just wants to do it and have fun and make sounds and something. So yeah. I wrote my books with guitar tablature is the main thing we lean on. And guitar tablature accomplishes two things. One, it's easier for the kids to figure out. You just tell them what string line and what the number is, and you're done. Right and mom and dad at home can read guitar tablature and help their kid. In the past, so many, so many parents would say, well, I don't know how to read music. I can't help them. Here's guitar tablature. Tells you what to do. Mom and dad can help their kid out at home. Dude, that is and so then, smart. Was this your idea? Yeah. Dude, yeah, that is a very it. smart idea. Yeah, because yeah, they can bring yeah. it home, and mom and dad can actually. That is really Good thinking, man. That's perfect. Yeah, and and uh, and thank you, thank you. And uh, and um, the books um, also you, it encourages the kids to read. So each as you're going through the lesson, the Martian figure has a bubble next to him. Like he'll be there, and then next to him is it'll be like who wants to read Bjorn? And Bjorn is one of the Martians. It's Bjorn, Bibi, Brubar, and Stan. They're the Martians. And so the kids read. Who wants to read Bjorn? And there's a little picture of Bjorn, and then they read what Bjorn says. And then who wants to read Bibi? And this way, the kids are engaged to the book. They're reading to you. You're not reading to them. They're reading to you, which keeps them engaged. Right on. You know, because with little kids, I yep. don't know if you have kids, but oh, yeah. trying yep. to keep them engaged when you're talking to them. Yeah. You know, it's like you want to stab yourself in the face with an ice pick. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like how many times I got to tell you, don't chew on the electrical cord? It's like, you know, it's like, but when they're reading it to you, they're like, they want to read. They want to get to the next portion. Yeah, that's cool. So that's man. what the book to do, you know. And so I had it running at one point in several states and all over. And then I built Rock and Toolboxes, which is my toolbox company. And that thing blew up so much. And running all the lessons in multiple states was very difficult. And I was getting divorced at the time. So I paired back the lessons, uh, lesson programs to just District 131 and just down a little bit so I could expand Rock and Toolboxes. But then District 131. You know, I said, you guys want to expand these? They went from three schools to 10 schools this year. So I brought some instructors on, and it's been awesome. But, yeah, and I'm actually looking to do more with that, too, because the books are really fun. It's called Mars Jams Books, and they're really fun and engaging. You can learn. And I, I do what's called Martianizing and Songs. We have Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Mars, Old yeah. Bjorn Martian, <laughs> and, um, you know, stuff like that, where it's like, you know, common songs, but we had a Martian tinge to it, so... And those books are called Mars Jams? 
Yeah, M A R S J A M Z Z. Z Z. Okay. I think there's a Facebook page of them. You can kind of see them on the Facebook page. I think I still have the Facebook page. Well, holy shit, man. I think we, we, we busted over an hour here. Um, is there anything else you want to, I mean, obviously you can plug any dates you want, but you got the fucking, what's, is it rocking toolboxes too? That's what you're uh, talking about. Yeah. Right yeah. Now? So yeah, I have a company called rocking toolboxes. We have a Facebook page. I sell big giant toolboxes. You know, uh, we compete with snap on the quality, you know, is right on par, if not better than all the tool truck brands. And, uh, yeah. So I have that going. It's called rock and yeah, I've and seen those uh, the program. ads for those too. I think you've done some of those live too. I was like, I don't even like fucking you know tools, but I, and I, by the time I'm done, I wanted to buy a toolbox. So whatever you're doing, oh, yeah. man, just keep it up. It looks like yeah. you're having a blast, we, man. So oh yeah, well, there's one thing for sure is like I am nothing but I try to be goofy and fun. I think my whole life, my number one thing in life is I don't take anything serious. I think. Good. I'd be a detriment to it. I don't take anything that serious. I just want to have fun. Yeah, you stay so um, busy, though, man. That is incredible. You're doing a lot of shit. <laughs> well, you know, it's weird. When I don't have enough to do, yeah. I think I start getting stir crazy. But then I have too much to do, and then I'm like complaining. Sue's like, you're totally insane, because when it's quiet, you're freaking out. Then when you're busy, you're freaking out. It's like, are you ever going to not freak out? <laughs> so, That's the but, curse um, of being creative, man. <laughs> yeah. But let's see here. So couple things so yeah please if any of you folks out there are listening i run my programs using the 21st century learning grant so if your schools are using that i can bring my programs to your schools just contact me there poison crew please check that out uh the clark band the td clark band we've got some dates coming up june 17th it looks like we're going to be at uh, broken ore so we're going to be doing all my original stuff you know some cool covers and some vocal stuff and then rock and toolboxes if you need anything like that and then uh i want to thank you for having me on and uh, I really appreciate all this. This has just been, you know, great. And I appreciate you doing your homework, you know. And, um, I mean, I've really had fun today. And I appreciate oh, you asking. Oh, good, man. Thanks. No problem, bro. I, I really appreciate it. Thank, I know it's kind of odd. I, I just, like, uh, I just kind of got you out of the blue. But I was really appreciative, man. And you have, uh, yeah, you've got a lot of shit going on. You're very unique, talented guitar player. And, obviously, everything you're doing here, it's great to see you keeping this busy. And I'm going to hopefully, I'm going to try and make that June. I'm I'm in Iowa now. I used to, I was in Illinois up until like five years ago, but uh, I'm going to try and make that June 17th concert. Okay, right on. Oh, and one last thing too. I do teach private guitar lessons. Okay. Oh, well, how do how do they get I, hold I of you? I do them that? over the internet. Like I can do them via, you know, messenger or whatever I teach. You know, I, I teach a handful of private lessons when I have time. So if anybody wants to take some lessons, and learn some of these different techniques that I was, you know, fooling around with today or whatever, you know, I could definitely help you out. You can know? you teach and, an uh, old man how to sweep pick that's been wanting to do it his whole life? Oh, absolutely. All right. There's I'm, no question. I'm, com- it, I'm, I'm coming it, for a I, lesson. <laughs> dude, I'm telling you, it, it's, not, it's difficult, but it's not as difficult as it seems. I've tried uh, yeah, the YouTube think, way 300 times and I suck at it. <laughs> like I can do an arpeggio fast, but I cannot get it to sound anywhere near a, a TD Clark. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you one piece of one tidbit that will help when you're sweeping it. Yeah. You're sweeping a form like we're doing a form here. I always turn the pick a little bit so the edge of the pick is going into the strings almost sideways. 
Okay. As opposed to the side of the pit, I'm going to do it at the edge of the pit. Yes, folks, that, that will be me. Makes it, <laughs> it makes it makes it super crispy. Yeah, are you ni- are you knife edgy. edging it? Pardon? Are you knife edging it like you're going into yeah, the screen? Yeah, kind of like the edge. Yeah, so as opposed to the side of the pick hitting the screen, I'm thinking so the tip of the pick is hitting it almost um, sideways. So the side of the pick and the tip is hitting it that way. Cool. Like the small way as opposed to the long way, the short part. So kind of on an angle going down. Right. It's not totally down. It's more at like a like kind of angle. The angle would be. It's almost like you're going towards the floor. Not entirely, but at an angle. Okay. Speaking of that type of thing, you know that important. <laughs> Sorry. Holy shit. Well, there's no way, no better way to end it, uh, man. Thank you, T.D. Clark. Uh, everyone, try and get a hold of him. See his band. Definitely buy his albums. Buy them, you jerk-offs. <laughs> no streams. Yeah, and check out, the, you know, check out um, Close to You from D. Schneider. Honestly, I would love you guys to check that out. I was pretty proud of working with such an icon, and there's some cool guitar stuff on there. The record is called We Are the Ones. I don't play on the whole record. I'm playing like half of it. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, please check out Close to You. I do a big solo on there. I'm pretty proud of that one. So, All right, man. Well, thanks again. Uh, have a good show tonight. And uh, hopefully we could be able to talk to you again, sir. Absolutely. And whenever, man. You have a great time. You know, I appreciate you very much, Jimmy. It's like this has been fantastic. And uh, I'm thankful to be on another truth here and whatever else. So. All right, my man. Well, hey, thanks again, brother. Have a great night. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, man. Cheers. Bye-bye. Later, bro. Bye.